Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer and in today's episode, we're going to be asking, is FinOps the key for fintechs to ride out the economic storm? Make no mistake, fintechs and the wider financial services industry are currently in a stress test with all sorts of costs suddenly being put under scrutiny. Cloud-based services can be one of those costs that are being put under the microscope, but would it be wise to move away from a system that has actually made the fintech revolution possible in the first place? So in this show, we've put together a panel of amazing experts to discuss the overview of cloud and FinOps today, how the industry faces into the current downturn, and what will the future look like with or without, I guess, cloud-based services. We'll discuss all of this and much more on today's show. But first, a few brief messages. Don't go anywhere. A lot of you know 11FS for our chart-topping podcasts, our events, videos, reports, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do. But what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle. We do so much more than that. At 11FS Ventures, we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design, build, and launch truly digital financial services. We are building banks, shaping new propositions, and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services. And our design, research, strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. Buying a home is the biggest and most significant purchase most people make in their lifetime. And it doesn't matter where in the world you're buying, the process is rarely easy. In our latest report, experts from our 11FS Ventures team look at why the home buying process is broken, how we can fix it, and the massive commercial opportunity it presents for banks and fintechs. Download your free copy at 11fs.com slash homebuying. That's 11fs.com slash homebuying. All right, let's get started. As always, I'm joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed a little bit more light on this super interesting topic. First off, it is a welcome return to Fintech Insider for Ewan Silver, who is the group CTO here at 11FS. I was just teasing you before we started recording, Ewan, about having some headphones on, but it's lovely to see you back on the podcast. How are you doing, my friend? Yeah, I'm good, David. Thanks. Um it's a bit of a shock to be here, but we'll see what happens. Well, uh, thank thank goodness this isn't live, everybody. It was all, uh, all I'm saying. But uh, yeah, there'll be uh, lots of edits, I'm sure. But uh, we also have a, a debut on Fintech Insider for Status Onosoglu, who is the principal architect over at Google. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Hi, David. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. No worries at all. I mean, with that uh, with that title at Google, I reckon you're going to be pretty well versed on actually this conversation as well, right? So we've picked a, picked a pretty decent guest for this. It's a, it's a pretty interesting conversation and very, very topical. Uh, I probably have one of the most interesting roles at Google. I'm um, what we call basically a financial services industry principal. And that means basically that I get to spend my time uh, in three main aspects. One, working very closely with CTOs and CPOs to help them define their technology and data strategy to support things like product launches, expansion to new markets, and so on and so forth to uh, doing a little bit of research, trying to have an opinion in terms of what are the most uh, relevant topics in the industry, anything from regulations to anything on new value chains. Uh, And last, I spend a little bit of time to write up, blog, or speak in public events about all the great things that uh, our customers are doing. 
Very good, very good. I mean, it, you make that sound like it's a lot of fun, but speaking to big CTO uh, bank, it's not all as fun as it sounds in that way. But uh, we'll we'll come to that as we uh, as we move through the conversation in in that way. But uh, uh, last but absolutely by no means least, we also have Regina Lau, who's the chief financial officer over at Weaver. Great to have you on the show, Regina. How are you doing? Good thing. Thanks for having me. No worries at all. For anybody who hasn't heard of Weaver, what do they need to know? And and tell us a little bit more about your role over there. Thank you. Uh, yes, so we are an embedded finance platform. We launched um, in no- 2020, November. So we've been live for just a little bit of time. And uh, yeah, we've we've been quite lucky. We've grown quite well. And we've raised um, some money and have some really great investors. We actually just recently come completed an acquisition of an open banking platform. They're focused more on B2B. And so um, between that and the growth that we've had in the last two and a half years, uh, I think uh, we're pretty excited about our future. Very cool. You know it's going well when you start buying other people in that way, I guess, in that sense. uh, All right. Well, um, we better get on with it because um, this is um, a topic that's obviously very relevant to the industry, very relevant to, to the market in the way in which we're going through it now. And and maybe if we start by having a bit of a look at the, the general landscape of, of what's happening in the, the, the cloud and the FinOps space. So, and maybe you, and if I, if I come to you first, can you give us a bit of a, a definition about what we actually mean by cloud-based system? Because let's get through some of the basics first and then really sort of get into the, the, uh, the more tougher questions. Yeah, sure. So I suppose historically, um, you know, companies bought their own servers. You know, they bought their own infrastructure, their own uh, SANs and their network storage and so on and so forth and ran them out of their own data centers. Probably 15, 20 years ago, you started to get these companies like Amazon, Google, and so on and so forth, who started to offer out these capabilities over the internet. So they would host and run their own these servers. You would simply come along, make an API call, and be able to access the servers as and when you want. So access very quickly, very fast, um, relatively cheaply, uh, gave a lot of startups and smaller companies the ability to scale quickly. Very cool. And it sort of grew from, I guess, just being, you know, is it my server, your server, our server, whatever, like to much broader services, didn't it? Yeah. um, So obviously it started off compute. So basically the the CPU and networks, the ability to move data across the network. And what happened over time was the cloud companies realized that actually people wanted to buy capabilities. So it wasn't just the CPU they wanted to buy, they wanted to start doing things like uh, image recognition or security or things like that. And so you, you were able to, these companies offered out higher level capabilities, which ultimately has led us over the last three or four years into software as a service capabilities. And in the banking industry, I guess you've got Baz banking as a service capabilities and things like that. So Regina over at, at Weaver would know all about that. And and maybe I, I guess um, status coming to you on on the the next view around you know FinOps more broadly there. I mean you know the that early days. I mean it doesn't seem so long ago we were talking about you know will financial services ever really use cloud in that in that way and and in some instances it's it's sort of been. Uh, not on purpose, you know, they've used SaaS companies that use backend systems that are in various different places. So they've sort of done it through other organizations. But but increasingly, we're seeing, you know, big banking organizations is the, the likes that you referred to earlier on, really sort of embark on much more strategic journeys when it comes to, to cloud op- adoption. So uh, how, how have you seen that transition? And then I'll come back to you on the FinOps thing in a second. No, absolutely. You're 100% correct um, on the statements that you made. Uh, it used to be the case uh, probably a few years ago that cloud was more about technology and 
especially big banks, tier one, tier two banks were a little bit more, I guess, reluctant to adopt new technology. It's, it's more about strategic partnerships uh, right now rather than technology itself. And FinOps is part of this conversation also uh, in terms of how can I pick up a partner, strategic partner that can help me both with technology, but also from a value-driven perspective. How can I do more in terms of increasing revenues, reducing my costs or mitigating risks, and at the end of the day, innovating at the right speed with the right level of risk, essentially. Yeah. And that and that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? I always say, you know, risk is a is a business decision. You know, people take different levels of risk for different things and, you know, that can pay off or it or it can't in that way. But but I guess, you know, cloud was seen as a risky thing to start with. But I, I guess this is where we're sort of talking a little bit where it's not really where you want to get to, it's where you're starting from, isn't it? You know, the the banks have struggled a little bit with this because they've started from, you know, five different data centers and if you go in them we will shoot you type you know feelings to to actually well what do we need to be good at and actually i mean i i remember um i think it was two or three years ago now actually speaking at uh, uh, an event for google actually um and one of the the panelists were the ceo of one of the challenger banks in the uk and the their opening comment was never in any part of starting this bank did i think where are we going to put our data centers you know and it's like yeah exactly you know like you start from a fundamentally different place don't you in that way so so maybe if we come back to finops then what what do we mean by finops what what does that because obviously those those fintechs that are starting in cloud and building from cloud, this has quite a big impact for them. Yeah, absolutely. And FinOps is more about the culture of an organization. And according to, to the FinOps Foundation, uh, it, it is a cultural practice, essentially, right? It is a set of behaviors and processes, uh, the how and what, about how uh, an organization can bring essentially financial accountability ideally at the granular level of individual. Uh, so that's one component. And the second component that FinOps aspires to bring to an organization is essentially to accelerate uh, the business value realization. Ideally, every individual in an organization has to have a view of what $1 spent on cloud or technology can bring to the organization from a value perspective, from how, how does it impact the North Star of the company, essentially. And this obviously uh, touches a lot of functions, a lot of teams, more and more, well, uh, etymologically, FinOps comes from finance and operations, so predominantly finance operations and engineering, but also product and all the value generating units across the company. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's um, the fact that you started with culture, you know, the fact that actually, I mean, at the heart of... Um, you and I mean every um, every big client meeting we're at, you roll out Conway's law at some point. You know, like actually, you know the the technology facilitates the process, the operating model, and the operating model is a it's kind of a manifestation of the the culture of an organization in that way, isn't it? So I mean, it's interesting that you know FinOps has such a a cultural part within organizations. You yeah, I, I think uh, you know culture is fundamental. Uh, and you made that point earlier about sort of the, the challenger CEO saying they never cared about their, their data centers. As you know, I've built three or four startups and all based on the cloud, uh, never considered where a data center would go. Actually, it's like, how do you get the teams working together? How do you get a uh, product working together? How do you get engineering working together? How do you get compliance and finance working together? 
It's it, it's looking at the world in a fundamentally different way. And, you know, as you say, we always talk about Conway's law. Conway's law is something that came out in the 1960s. It really says, you know, your your organization reflects your technical architecture, but also your technical architecture reflects your organization. And actually, if you want, and the two things are highly interlinked, and if you want to change your culture, actually, the way that you go about operating your business, and nowadays that means technology, is fundamental. So actually, if you've moved to a cloud-based world, you're going to be a lot more agile. You're going to be a lot more under control of a lot of things. Whereas if you're in an old-style monolithic world, things are just going to be slower and they're going to take more time. Yeah. Regina, I mean, why does a chief financial officer care about this? Because actually, you know, in your role, and I, and I guess back to what, what Stathis was saying, actually, in terms of the breaking down of those silos and those cross-functional things, I mean, this isn't just a, a CTO conversation, is it? No, not at all. Um, so at Weaver, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to handle a few things. I handle finance, compliance. I handle what we call banking, which is all of our banking relationships and our financial provider relationships, all the licensed entities that go with us, and also legal and HR. So very, um, to some degree, independent type like organizations that actually um, are also very data driven, right? Which is why this conversation is so exciting. For us, FinOps is two things. One, it's exactly what Ewan is saying. There's a technology component to it, right? And how do you make it you know, as efficient as possible? But there's also a financial side to it for us because in financial services, financial operations is such a big part of everything that you do. In fact, operations is what makes financial services run. Without it, financial services just cannot happen. And most of the time, the layman doesn't realize when they press the button, because there's actually quite a few processes and policies behind the scene that if they weren't actually technically driven and efficiently driven, your money won't arrive, right? And so that's actually a big thing, probably dating myself a bit. I still remember the days of physical on-prem servers and data centers where we worried when there were, um, for example, floods in Florida, would it actually create problems for our data centers, right? And now everything is um, cloud and you don't even think about it, but instead now you're thinking about efficiency, how to get the data most accurately and most quickly, and how do you also give people access to all of it it's incredibly quickly, and even migrations, right? And through this integration, one of the big things that we're talking through is how do we integrate? And we're so thrilled that they actually use some of the same systems, which will make our life so much easier. That's that's great. I mean, as you say, it's uh, it's something that touches sort of all parts of the organization, then, isn't it? Not just uh, you know, and not just well, how long? As you say, I mean, uh, we're going to date all of ourselves at this point, aren't we? But you know, I remember one big bank we were working with. Uh, gave us a six-month lead time to spin up a uh, an environment for them to be able to start doing things with, and and that just seems laughable now, doesn't it? In terms of the you know the 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 processes you go through and the you know pressing a button and having all of those things at your fingertips to to really make those things happen. But but I, I mean I, I guess you and coming back to you on this, I mean why has I mean, it, it sounds like we've just built such an obvious answer to this, but like, why has the industry embraced this so much? Is it is it the necessity of speed of change and and changes in the market more broadly, or is there a is like this just the direction of travel? Like, is is it inevitable because we've seen this pattern roll out in other industries? I think um, it is almost inevitable, but not completely inevitable. So, you know, cloud has, has meant that people can access servers very, very quickly. They can access these capabilities we were talking about earlier very, very quickly. And so, you know, what matters in a modern world is that speed to market. And so cloud plays into that. You're not spending six months and, you know, God knows how many hundreds of thousand pounds racking and stacking a bunch of servers. 
However, you know, I think there are there are downsides to this. You know, the costs do rack up over time, particularly if you use a lot of these services um, and don't don't have them under control. And I think we are starting to see some people in the future just bringing a bit of this back in house. Uh, you know, it's not necessarily running your own data centers, but people are starting to to engage with people like thirty seven signals over do a deal with Dell. Actually, they're cutting back on a bit of their cloud spend. Um, but you know, that's something to look at to the future. Yeah, I, I guess um, Stathis, looking at this and, and sort of standing back a little bit. I mean, you work with organisations kind of globally in different types of markets at, at different sort of levels across this journey. I mean, is this something that you're seeing embraced differently when it comes to you know emerging markets than it is more uh, developed markets? I think there is a little bit of, of of a difference across the two, and also there is a difference across. Financial se- across the spectrum of financial services. So I see different things and different levels of adoption. For example, in the likes of hedge funds, where maybe really low latency trading is something that cloud is just not ready yet, uh, and some some aspects of technology need to be uh, co-located. For example, in a physical space, uh, the vast majority of the spectrum in financial services. Uh, is a very good fit for clouds. And I'll go back to one point that you and alluded to at the beginning. So we, we, we usually talk about the three waves of, of the cloud evolution over the last probably 10 years or so. Uh, if you think early 2000s, probably everything was about virtualization. How, how do I reduce my costs, essentially? How can I bring everything in, in, in one place and reuse the same technology, right? Uh, a little bit later on, uh, it became about OPEX versus CAPEX. Do, do, do I want to make upfront investments in terms of capital expenditure or should I pay as I go, for example, for the services that I need? And we do see a big shift over the last probably four or five years towards value-add capabilities. So it's not, it is, uh, again, about virtualization, cost reduction, managing uh, costs, for example, in a better way or in a more efficient way. But it's much more about being able, for example, to ever to leverage technologies like data analytics, machine learning and AI right out of the box without necessarily needing to heavily invest in these capabilities uh, in-house. It's, a, it's an interesting one, isn't it? If you can turn on services as taps to benefit your business, then actually the the business case for doing it is very different, isn't it? And I, I think across the board, I think we're seeing that shift really of within big organizations, if you've got to wait two years and, you know, I mean, I don't even want to put a, a large number on how much investment to, to get there. And you only really start getting the ROI at the end of that. That's a very different journey in that sense as well, isn't it? So, and, and I, I guess that sort of goes to the point you were making earlier on around the, you know, in the period of time that we're in, predictability of, uh, of finances and the operational cost that goes around that is is probably more critical than ever. And maybe if we, at that stage, sort of take a bit of a look forward, because, I mean, Regina, if we, we come to you on that one, uh, I mean, that we're in tough times, right? Like, there's no there's no denying it. The, the economic pressures globally right now are, uh, we're in a weird place, right? So, you know, fintechs are, are sort of walking a bit of a tightrope more than ever before and and predictability is is probably more critical than ever before as well right yes absolutely so there's a couple of things right if you're 
I'm lucky enough to be able to set aside the budget you want to set aside um, for technology, right? Then you'll um, be able to do all the things that you want to do because it just feels freeing and flexible to build what you want to build. Um, oftentimes automation is to make sure you get to the next step much, much faster, right? Which is what we're all talking about here on, on this podcast. However, at the same time too, if you're not sure what you need sometimes, which oftentimes, you know, um, earlier stage companies are still trying to figure that out, you might actually buy services that you may not consume. And then therefore, perhaps you're actually setting aside too high of a budget by accident and not really realizing it, right? And so to some degree, we absolutely appreciate there are multiple services now being packaged and being part of what you can actually buy for servicing. But at the same time, too, you may not need all of it. So perhaps are you actually um, overspending by accident? So sometimes, you know, they, one of the things that also happens is that you might buy a longer term um, commitment um, type of contract, but then uh, at the same time, too, as hum- as it is with human nature, you might feel you have the luxury to go and check to see if everything is used. And then maybe it's not as managed as you like it to be managed, right? And that's also the other side of having a bit of an open budget on things. Um, to some degree, um, that's part of the uh, danger is too strong, certainly. But that's sort of the, um, the other side of having um, so many things available to, to you. And, of course, in finance, we're looking, trying to be, to your point earlier, as predictable as possible, as lean as possible, um, and, and it's not always too to easy to know those um, to know those fine lines. Yeah, I, I guess status on your side. Have you have you seen any shifts in this as well? I mean, there's obviously uh, you know four fintechs, four big you know gigantic banking organizations. It's uh, a tough period, tough economic times. Are, are you seeing any changes in how cloud adoption or the budgeting for that is is shifting? Yes, indeed, absolutely. And uh, just one comment on the predictability uh, aspect of things. I think more recently, it's more about right-sizing in real time or in a much higher frequency rather than predictability per se, because you can have predictability, for example, if you invest upfront for the next five years. But especially if you think about fintechs, if you have runway for one year, two years investing and having predictability for a much longer horizon is is it's not it's just not the right thing for you, right? Um, so to your question, David, yes, there is a shift, and essentially, if you think about the last one one and a half years, uh, especially after the pandemic, uh, the, the, obviously due to uh, the geopolitical events that we all know, and also uh, recent events over the last week, um, probably with with uh, what is happening in especially in the financial service industry, uh, there's a big shift from growth to the notion of unit economics. So it used to be the case that two years ago, everything was about growth, right? If you were able to credibly demonstrate a high growth potential and to be able to map technology to that aspect, then then you were in a very good place, right? Now, what you actually need to demonstrate is the link between the cost that you are incurring uh, from technology, uh, using technology, to your main KPIs, to your main North Star, be it user acquisition, be it lifetime value, customer acquisition, AUM, asset under management, or anything else that uh, everyone else is using as their North Star. So that's that's the main shift that um, I'm, I'm, I see in the market right now. There's a much more focus in terms of what does my cloud spend mean from a business point of view. Yeah. I mean, I think that's quite an interesting, I mean, I, I think I could go off on a tangent here for like another hour on, or just on that one, quite frankly. So I don't know if anybody's got a meeting after this. Yeah, you do. Okay. Um, but but the like, 
Actually, that's an interesting topic in its own right because, and I'm, I'm looking at producer Laura to make note of this one, because actually when you think about the the sort of evolution of where financial services is going, you know, data centers just used to be data centers is where you kept the data, right? You know, and the data was about customers. It was data uh, about your products. And then it was probably like some sort of relationship between the two of those things because you, hopefully your customers had some products, right? So, um, but in a increasingly experiential industry, then actually we are using, uh, you know, cloud services in a, a very different way to provide services that we orchestrate for end consumers that may or may not be the facilitation of the things that fundamentally underpin those business models. And I think that is a really interesting one because arguably it ends up putting more load on uh, cloud services because of the experiential nature of, of financial services going forward than it would do just to facilitate the things that sort of deliver on the business model side of things. So, I mean, Ewan, in, in like two minutes, what do you think on that? Because like literally that that's a that's a series in itself, isn't it, you know? Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think Laura needs to uh, you know, start writing a whole bunch of podcasts here. It's, I think you're true. It's correct. Um, you know, it's it's once you can access these services uh, and actually you can start trying things and you can offer them out to customers and you see which ones bite and which ones don't bite, you kind of almost get a, almost an exponential growth in, in usage, which obviously is going to, I guess, have a very big impact ultimately on your back-end uh, server usage and so on and so forth. So your costs will also go up dramatically. And I think this is the point where you need to make sure that actually the stuff that you are spending your cloud services on actually have a direct customer profit feedback. Otherwise, you can have great customer experience, but actually you're not really earning much money out of it and it, it can cost you a lot of money. Yeah. So I think being able to really get the entire business focusing on the actual end-to-end -end metrics, both you know, key customer metrics, the, you know, the, 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 the NPS scores or whatever it might be, and also the cost to serve those capabilities, I think you're really important. Yeah. And and is that is that really and I mean that was a very good summary in you and maybe we don't need that four hours of uh, other other content now because you, you smashed that then. But I mean status is that is that the point in this? Is that how, you know, cloud based solutions can help fintechs to to really manage these times? Because, you know, so long as you're making sure that actually like I don't mind my costs going up if my revenue's going up, right? And actually if you're in a situation where you can predictably manage those things and monitor them, as Regina said, you know, much more proactively than you would have needed to with much greater level of investment than, you know, digging a bunch of holes and building a bunch of buildings and putting a bunch of data centers in them, then is that how this is being managed more effectively? I believe so. And you can think it from, from, another, from another perspective. If you think of most of the successful, most of the most successful fintechs, for example, but this is the same across, across the startup landscape, uh, we are talking about exponential growth. At some point, they are very successful. There's a tipping point. More and more customers are coming in, and then you grow and you become uh, a, a large company, essentially, and, and uh, uh, you, you are successful at the end of the day. Now, how you support this growth? Uh, it, it means that when things go well and we have this exponential growth, you need to increase your technology footprint to, to support that growth, but not not to increase the, the, the footprint exponentially, maybe even sublinearly, meaning that you still maintain a very, very healthy margin. And the other side of the coin is what happens when the economic reality changes, uh, right? As we've seen probably recently. So you, you might not need 
as large a technology footprint as you used to have to support this exponential growth, right? But, right? but you still need to keep going. And if you think in terms of cloud services, either as storage and compute, which is the simplest flavor of cloud to think about, or as value-add capabilities, this is basically uh, what cloud uh, is able to offer, right? So you can basically spin up services and you can spin up the, the, the technology footprint when you actually need it. If you don't need it, you can dial it down. And if you need to try out additional capabilities, like we see recently with large language models, for example, do you go out and start hiring highly sophisticated data science teams? Yes, maybe that's the right thing to do. But if you want to try things out first, maybe you can start pinging some APIs on Google Cloud, for example, and you can start first proving the value, and then you can, in parallel, formulate your strategy, your longer-term strategy. Yeah, I mean, it flips the it flips the model, doesn't it? First, you used to have to do a lot of strategy and prove the business case to then go and do the thing, and now you can test it and put it in the hands of customers, and then figure out what works to then scale it. Which you know, it's a very different way. You and what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I was just actually thinking about when Stathis was sort of saying, you know, the exponential upside makes perfect sense, but you know, dialing it back when things go go so well. And I'm curious, Stathis, sort of, how often do you see people actually dialing it back? You know, because that, that implies a certain level of, um, what's the word I'm looking at, experience and understanding of your cost model underneath it to do that sort of stuff. And a lot of people, I, I think, will just leave these services running. And so their costs are going to be quite high. And there's probably a lot of opportunity for people to dive in and say, actually, do you know what? Do I need to be running a large virtual server here? Can I run a small virtual server or so on and so forth? Are you seeing many people actually actively do that on a day-to-day -day basis? Or are they just generally just leaving the servers running as, as it was? So there is, as you can imagine, probably you and there is a wide spectrum of, of uh, different customers and how they react. Uh, but yes, I do see that. And in fact, I have recently worked with uh, two very large fintechs here in the UK, for example, to adopt, to help them to adopt the FinOps framework and see how they can dial down or rationalize uh, their cloud spend, um, in fact. And if you think in terms of how things like, how branding models like FinOps can help. Usually we talk about three main components, inform, optimize, operate. Inform is about cost allocation mostly. How, how can you have a sense about what are the main cost drivers, uh, for example? How can you report back costs to the teams that are incurring the cost, for example? And how can you more granular forecast what is coming down the road? Optimizing can be both about product optimization, how can you right size the technology essentially, but also from a commercial point of view, uh, how can you leverage your cloud partners to have more credits, for example, more support, more commercial support. And last operate is about how, how do you measure the actual value? And if you think that the cloud spend is not commensurate to the value that you are getting. Uh, basically, there are, well, loosely speaking and oversimplifying, this, oversimplifying, there are two main ways to, to increase your profit, right? Either increase your revenues or reduce your, your costs. Uh, when the economy is not thriving, but you're still doing rather well, well, one of the main drivers is to see where, where there is a little bit of leeway and try to dial down your costs. So yes, uh, long story short, we I, I do see both uh, both of these customer segments 
And recently, over the probably the last six, eight months, I have seen more and more interest in terms of actually putting that in practice, um, dialing down the costs. I mean, it's it's fascinating that that point because I mean, in the market that we live in, you know, the 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 changes that we're seeing, you know, uh, I mean, I spoke to a, a group CIO yesterday who said almost word for word what you just said, which is, look. We can't do anything that's really sort of changing the industry now, but we definitely sure as hell can do something about the the cost structuring inside of our organization, particularly given we, you know, we operate in so many different countries. So how do we, to your point on that non, uh, non-linear um, growth from a cost perspective, it kind of works the other way as well, right? It's uh, something, that, again, I know you and we've spoken about a lot, but, you know, big banking organizations using systems across countries to rationalize and decommission systems. And, you know, it's the dream, but there's no, there's so few people that you've seen really sort of see those things through. But um, all right, we're going to take a very short break. We're going to come back in a little while. We're going to be talking about the future, which is always exciting, isn't it? Back in two seconds. <music> This is Fintech Insider After Dark. We are breaking out of the studio and bringing it to the community. It's a live recording of the Fintech Insider podcast featuring your favorite hosts and big name guests. Well, thank you very much for having me back. Join us and become a certified Fintech Insider. Whether it's beers in London or pizza in New York, catch up with Fintech geeks and make new friends across the financial services ecosystem. This is packed out, right? This is standing yeah. We are bringing After Dark to the Steelyard in London on the 29th of March. Click the link in the podcast description or visit 11fs.com forward slash After Dark. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Good night. Okay, so we've talked about the current landscape and the challenges that we're seeing. So for this final section, we're going to be talking about what's going to happen in the future, which is always a laugh, isn't it? Because we always get these predictions wrong. But let's see where we get to. Uh, Regina, maybe if we start with you, how do businesses balance long-term future planning with really sort of riding out this turbulent time? I mean, this is a big question to start this uh, this second half with. But uh, what what do you think? I mean, what does the future hold for for those businesses who are looking to to manage this more effectively? Yeah, so perhaps I could talk a little bit also about just the general environment, right? Every um, startup, fintech, et cetera, anyone who is an investor-backed company, especially in general, are worried probably about um, runway, as we've sort of mentioned on the call already, how much money do they have? And then also how do they show that their economics are actually improving over time while growing incredible amounts, right? So that they can hopefully strike hot on some of those valuations that they want. Um, and it's difficult. There's no guarantee that the um, valuations that we had back in 21 will come back in, in the new term future, right? So that does mean um, things like Sathis is saying, it's really important to showcase that as your revenues are growing, and hopefully exponentially, that your unit economics are also coming down, also hopefully ex- <laughs> exponentially as well, right? Um, when that happens, then the, um, the uh the investors or anyone who's interested in in the company is actually seeing a very efficiently run a company, right? And there's sometimes perhaps, you know, a, a question on if you really are very tech driven, why aren't you running in that way? Surely you are able to manage your costs, not just only at the total number and how many pounds, how many euros, right? But also just the unit economics or the percentages at which you um, calculate your, your returns on. So to some degree, that's regardless of where you are and what industry you're in, that's sort of the environment that we're, we're looking um, towards. Um, I think, though, however, longer term, too, 
it would be the hope to be able to understand what you need the services for, because that also contributes to hopefully more efficient use um, and consumption of what you're working on. If you can also provide efficient systems that are also very customer friendly and great customer experience, as Ewan is saying, then also at the same time too, you may not need to charge really high prices for that to access your services, right? Which then at, at that point, you're actually changing the whole ecosystem of both your cost management, your business model, as well as the pricing that you may be offering and charging to your customers. That would be really great if we went down that route, so. Definitely. I mean, do you, do you see on, on that front then a, a sort of a, a balancing act between sort of organizations thinking, you know, strategically in the long term or, or short term? Or, I mean, you could sort of have your cake and eat it a little bit these days, can't you? And that, you, back to my point earlier on, it's not that gigantic investment up front to be able to then test things. It's a, it's a different way of doing it. Yeah. And actually, that's one of the great things about in, to be in tech today. You can really do that more agile test and learn methodology. And as probably everyone knows, um, oftentimes early stage companies are still learning and testing and they may be using money in that way, which doesn't sound very efficient, but that's effectively the way to become more effective um, and efficient in the, the future. Um, I would also say that um, to some degree that also makes um, your internal run differently because the culture of how you view um, how to run services and how you also want to consume those services for yourself also becomes part of the overall culture of what you want to do. If you can get fast and running, you can also provide the great service and do it in an efficient way. From an investor's perspective, you're kind of a bit of a dream. Yeah. Uh, so I, I guess on that note, Ewan, I mean, I mean, this is a weird, but I mean, you've just said like three businesses you've built are all cloud-based. I mean, does fintech exist without cloud? Like, can fintech exist without cloud? And I mean, is it some sort of nuclear holocaust we've gone through to to end in that result where we're somehow the fintech? It, like, can can it actually sustain it without cloud? I I don't think any tech uh, startup can really work nowadays without cloud. Um, if you look at it pre what two thousand and eight. Uh, you know, there was very little, and there was a lot of startup capability, but it took a long time to grow. It was only once sort of AWS and Google and so on and so forth came forward that suddenly you get this exponential growth in the, you know, the Facebooks and the Twitters and, and the everyone else who came out of that stuff 10, 10, 15, 20 years ago. FinTech is no different to this. I think if you're a small startup, you have to do all the stuff that Regina was talking about to be able to try stuff very quickly, to be able to effectively put your credit card behind the bar and buy a server for 10 cents an hour, whatever it might be, um, try something and then shut it down is, is fundamental. Uh, I think that for the scale-ups, it's, it's going to be slightly different. So once you've actually got product market fit, there is a different question as to whether cloud is the right thing to go for. I think people need to be a lot more sophisticated in the way they manage their costs. So you know, both Status and Regina have talked about actually people can downsize their costs if needed. I'm not convinced that that many people are really doing that. Uh, so I think there's there's something there. So it might be that if for the scale-ups, the, the disappearance of the cloud would not necessarily be a bad thing because they could go back to, to ma managing it in an in a, in older-style way. But for the for the very early-stage startups, it's fundamental. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, Stathis, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you whether you think the cloud is uh, a good thing or not because you'll be doing yourself out of a job at that point. So, uh, you know, I don't want anybody at Google being like, yeah, we'll just shut that thing down, you know, but uh, it seems to be going well. I don't think they're going to be turning it off anytime soon. Um, but I, I guess um, 
in a broader sense and something that we haven't really sort of touched on is, is, is sort of like the regulatory side of things. Because obviously, I mean, we work with organizations around the, the globe and their confidence or comfort with with cloud is 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 really the the maturity of the market really you know we've been very lucky here in the UK with the FCA and and everybody getting comfortable with that in sort of i don't know 2014 2015 with the the work that was done uh, quite early on uh, but uh, i guess with broader sense of the regulatory side of things we're seeing you know open banking open finance i mean it feels like the cloud's got a very big part to play in that in terms of the you know the consolidation or the uh, the, the the sort of orchestration of data from different sources. I mean, how, how are you guys kind of viewing that? Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a very good question, and uh, I, I would say that cloud is an enabler uh, at this point in time. So, uh, as we were talking uh, about, uh, essentially the reluctance of big financial institutions to adopt cloud uh, a few years ago, I think it was. The same thing with uh, regulators and regulations, essentially. And after a while, uh, regulators basically started understanding the cloud ecosystem. They gradually felt more comfortable with the checks and balances that are right now in place. And many of these checks and balances were put together uh, in collaboration with uh, regulators, in collaboration with FCA, with PRA and other regulatory bodies. and. I think this this is also part of what gives com- confidence to large financial institutions, but also to, to, to smaller fintechs to actually use cloud and, and uh, well stake their, their economic future on, on, on cloud, right? Um, just to give you one very specific example, uh, there is a upcoming regulation called DORA uh, in the European Union. It stands for Digital Operational Resilience Act. There is an equivalent um, from PRA and FCA and Bank of England, basically, uh, which basically uh, articulates a few things, but one technology aspect uh, that is mandated is essentially to be able to move your technology state under a stressed scenario from one cloud provider to another or from on-premise to, to a cloud provider. So you have alternatives, right? If you think how... You could go about that in the old world of data centers and caring about flood, flood flooding <laughs> your data centers in Miami or or things like that. I mean, it, it was probably impossible, right? Um, so I would say cloud in that respect right now is more of a hygiene factor rather than an accelerator, um, if we can put it that way. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting one, isn't it? The The theory there was you had three data centers in different part of the UK and hoped that if the entirety of the UK flooded, then you had bigger problems to worry about, didn't you, at that point? But uh, but but I, I guess it's interesting, the sort of failover, fallover. And, and actually, I mean, a, a big part of, uh, again, you and a lot of the conversations we've had with people over the last seven years is like, just like disaster recovery. And that doesn't have to be a, an actual disaster. It's like a, it's like a, a release that goes wrong and, and all of the benefits that that really sort of comes with those things. So, I mean, it's things that you take for granted in cloud that fundamentally just weren't there in the industry before this really sort of happened. But uh, uh, anything to add on that, Ewan? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, I think this door is it's a great idea. You know, the ability to move uh, between data centers or between cloud providers is exactly what people need. But that actually requires quite a sophisticated capability internally, you know, because the reality is different cloud providers will look at things in different ways. So actually the way that you 
uh, architectural systems needs to be designed from day zero to be able to be cloud agnostic. So, you know, probably you want to be running on a Kubernetes, which is sort of a, a scheduling capability that's industry standard. And then most cloud providers will offer this, 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 this service. There's also other stuff. I mean, David, you know, we talk a lot about Wirecard and when Wirecard went bust, a lot of people were basically stuck using their processors. So actually having that as part of your architectural systems to be able to make changes, even on a supplier level, not necessarily a cloud supplier, but the external supplier and be able to switch very quickly is, is critical. Uh, but that's a very sophisticated view of your architecture. And I think very few people are actually capable of doing that today. Uh, but that's really where you want to get to, because if you can do that, a lot of the FinOps stuff is almost trivial. And if you can't do that, uh, your finance stuff becomes very hard. Well, I feel like we started this podcast doing basic maths and we've just gone to SIRDs and like advanced uh, advanced trigonometry, but uh, uh, which is good, you know, leave, leave everybody wanting more. I, I guess maybe as a, a final thought from everybody, I mean, look, is FinOps a, a key tool for fintechs to actually sort of ride out this economic climate? Do you think it's uh, kind of one of those key things that people will have in their armory to to get through the next couple of years and whatever lays on the other side of that is, uh, is up to that? But uh, Regina, what do you think? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we've talked about so many benefits of it as well, but a, a lot of it also is about planning forward, which um, to Yuen's point, it's not so easy to to do. I know we talk about that quite a bit behind the scenes, our partners, how do we make sure we're not so linked directly to them that we need to um, to switch, we can easily switch. Um, actually, um, the point on the regulators piece, which we were talking about, regulators actually ask those questions. So as part of the assessments that we have to provide, we actually have to provide backups um, processors, suppliers, partners, et cetera, and actually talk about how we're going to switch over. Uh, the reality is it's not that easy to, to do because oftentimes if you're trying to get up and going very fast, you're going to do it the quickest way possible, which isn't necessarily the, the long-term way. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, sometimes uh, necessity and uh, the, the sort of mother of innovation in terms of getting stuff done, as you say, but uh, you, you, what do you think? Is this a, is this a sort of a I guess through this period, a sword or a shield. You know, are we are we seeing it as a critical thing as part of the armory of fintechs to to weather this storm? I think it's fundamental. I think um, actually this the downturn is good because it forces people to really look deep and hard at the way they run their business, the way their architecture is set up, their operational processes. If you can uh, harden and make your internal processes better now, it'll be good for when the future comes, when the good times come in the future. That's absolutely true. Get fighting fit. Um, Stathis, what do you think? Is this a critical part of the armory for businesses to, to succeed? Uh, very much so. It's not It's not the only thing probably that business need to do to navigate uh, this landscape, but it's, it's uh, one of the most valuable drivers probably. The whole notion of being able to, to back up your unit economics to actually being able to demonstrate this this uh, line needs between spend and uh, and end value from a business point of view or even having the business level conversations with all the stakeholders with uh, with your organization these are things that probably every organization needed to have and this economic climate is basically a very good timing <laughs> to to actually get that in practice right and probably the healthy organizations are going to come out even healthier the not so healthy ones probably are going to become a little bit in better shape after similar exercises. Yeah, it's an interesting one whether uh, whether by 
decision or, or necessity, then uh, everybody will. Uh, everybody who does come out the other end will come out a lot, a lot fitter in that way, as you say. I mean, it's been a fantastic debate, fantastic discussion. I mean, cloud often just gets so technical, but actually, you know, I love from the get go on this. It's not really just about the cloud. It's not just about the technology. It's the it's the operations. It's the culture. It's the things that it facilitates organizations fundamentally doing. And and for us, I mean, when we talk to organizations around the world about this, this is a you know the only thing you can optimize now for is um, speed of change and cost and change. And actually, cloud is a, a major driver of you actually being able to do that in any way uh, scalable. So uh, on that note, though, we're going to have to wrap up the show because uh, we do all have uh, other things I'm sure we all need to be going to. But uh, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, where can people learn a little bit about more about you and the companies that you work at? So you and start with you. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn or drop me an email, you and at 11fs.com. And I guess everyone knows what the company I work for, 11fs, does. So I'll leave it at that. Very good. Regina, where can people learn more? Our website is weaver.io, uh, weaver without the second E. <laughs> um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Regina Lau, and you can certainly drop me an email, regina.lau at weaver.io. Very cool. Stathis, where can people learn more? Yeah, very, very similar channels of communication. So our website, google.com, uh, my LinkedIn profile and my email at Google is stathiso at google.com. Very cool. As for me, I'm predominantly lurking on LinkedIn these days. So feel free to connect and happy to always chat. Thank you very much for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It super helps and helps other people find the show as well. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can search for us on pretty much every social media channel at this stage. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider. Or if you really want to, you can email us on podcast at 11FS.com. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Thank you.